and welcome to Comic Book Decalogue, the podcast on which we ask different cartoonists the same ten questions with each installment. My name is Greg. I'm recording from Comics Journal Satellite Lab in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Comics megatalent Gabrielle Bell is our guest this time around. Gabrielle is the artist behind The Voyeurs, Truth is Fragmentary, and other celebrated works of cartooning. One of the best memoirists, humorists, and short story writers the form has to offer, and that is no exaggeration. We spoke during a visit she made to the Twin Cities last year. But first, people periodically ask when Comic Book Decalogue will be available on iTunes, and, like your one true love at the end of an 80s teen movie, it has actually been there the whole time. If you subscribe to Comic Book Decalogue's sister podcast, Mike Dawson's TCJ Talkies, you may have discovered that Decalogue appears in the same iTunes feed, whether you want it to or not. This is a technical issue no one is quite sure how to resolve. So thanks, of course, to Mike for his endless patience with squatters. The Comics Journal, it's not a monolith. Guys, we're just people. Everybody's trying. I'm no Mike Zuckerberg. I'm just a guy. If you've discovered the show on tcj.com, you can download it at the iTunes store for free. Future guests include Anya Davidson, Mr. Twelve Gems, Lane Milburn, Anna Bongiovanni, and more. Oh my lord. That's the housekeeping part. Up next is Gabrielle Bell, and with a special cameo from comics superstar Aiden Coke. Are you kidding me? Just seconds away. Thank you, as always, for listening. Yeah, I, I started recording. The first question uh, on the list is, what's the last comic you finished reading? Hmm. Oh, man. The last comic. Well, I recently read this graphic novel called This Dog Barking. Have you heard of that? No. Who is that by? Oh my gosh, I can't remember. But it's important because it was really good. <laughs> Do you remember how you found it? Yeah, it's about this guy, Yuji Krishnamurti. Not the Krishnamurti we know, but um, he's sort of like this anti-guru that died a few years ago, and he had this following. He's a very eccentric character. And so there was this uh, English artist and I think a Cambodian writer did this graphic novel about him. And it was incredible. Like, um... I'm not too crazy about comics that are, have, like, the writer-artist mm-hmm. team, but somehow this was, like, there was something incredible about it. And the art is, like, sort of primitive and naive and at the same time, like, really beautiful and expressive and clear. Yeah, it kind of, like, I'm, you know, I, I don't know, I'm a little jaded about comics, but it was really, I was actually meaning to send it, forward it to the Comics Journals to see if somebody wanted yeah. to review it. Does it have a U.S. publisher, do you know, or did you find it while you were overseas? I'm not sure. I know that they don't have a U.S. distribution. I know that in other countries they have a publisher. But um, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with them in the U.S. But um, this was just an advanced reading copy. Mm-hmm. It's not coming out till like, like, the fall or something. Hearing your... 
allusions to a jadedness about comic that ought to give uh, question number two particular weight. Uh, it's uh, what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? Um, I think Gabby Schultz does. He gets plenty of praise, but he could use some more. Mm-hmm. It's a name I you may not hear as often as you maybe used to. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. He gets plenty of praise. I mean, I want to use this opportunity to speak for women cartoonists. Mm-hmm. But um, it seems like they're often doing quite well. But I feel that there's so many great women cartoonists. I mean, amazing. They're constantly blowing my mind. <laughs> and I would say they, they deserve even more praise. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that it takes longer for the women cartoonists to gain the kind of gravitas and respect that the white guy cartoonists tend the canon like no matter how amazing their work is and how praised it is there's a sort of I recently read Uli Lust's book sure this is the last day of uh, this is the first day of the last of your life it's a hard title to remember I'm embarrassed that this is on air but... it is brilliant it's so good and um, there was like some quote on the back. It said she has unwittingly written a masterpiece or something like Which that. Which is yeah, hu- hugely condescending. Hugely condescending. in some respects. So I would yes, I would say that. I mean, after reading that and saying this is an unwitting masterpiece, it's just mm-hmm. incredibly it just takes away takes away the praise that it's meant to give. Sure, because she's from an arts background, uh, or at least like a punk milieu. It's not. Uh, uh, it's not the Vivian girls made in someone's yeah, she's closet. Not, she, yeah, it's not an accident. <laughs> you knew what she knows mm. what she's doing. Uh, for the listener, just as an aside, the chattering you're hearing in the bath oh, in the background is uh, some window blinds. It's, these are the hazards of podcasting. <laughs> okay, I think that might fix it. I wonder if Uh, The next question, question three, is sort of the inverse of the last one. What's the most widely loved comic that you just can't connect with? Are you trying to get me to shit talk? Uh, Well, (laughs) what I told Sammy Harkham was people have been surprisingly game so far. And what was was Sammy's, what was his his choice? He he, he didn't name names in a big way. Uh He was the the most diplomatic of the interview so far. Did he say... Uh, cartoonist no I don't think so I think uh, I think he was just uh, not interested in some of the stuff uh, directed toward younger readers hmm. but no he was he was very diplomatic uh, previous people have said Brian Lee O'Malley saga the book from image yeah I know it's hard for me to say because I'm I mean I'm not proud of this but I'm not a big comics reader mm-hmm and often when I do read comics, it tends to be by women or some something unusual, like this dog barking or something. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of stuff is kind of out of my radar, and I'm not saying that in a satisfied way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, I wish I had something to say about comics that people are reading. Um, Stuff that I don't connect to. This is the thing is I don't connect to so many things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like when I find something I can relate to or connect to, I'm just like it really excites me because because it seems rare and special. 
Well, this is good in a way, all of it. Uh, we're road testing the perfect comics interview with this podcast. Um, so this is this is maybe the biggest challenge uh, the list has met so far. Question four is: You can send one comic back in time to yourself at fourteen. Uh, maybe it didn't even come out until you're older, but uh, maybe you just weren't aware of it then. But what is that comic? That I, that I wish that I could have read at fourteen. Mm-hmm. Really, I'd like to just take. 15 minutes in between each question and just go in the other room and think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, don't, I mean, don't worry because we have a panel discussion tomorrow where there's even less time between okay. question and answer. I mean, there is some really great things that I've read that have really sort of sort of blown my mind. <laughs> and sometimes, yeah, there's things I've read and been like, ah, oh, if I read that years ago, I would have understood more now, like, um, comics. I mean, there was a lot of things that I've read and, and uh, when, I, when I was that age, that really helped me. Um, recently, I read that comic that Anders Nilsson did, I'm not sure if it was for the Drawn and Quarterly book, that big fat Drawn and Quarterly mm-hmm. book, is very non-linear, autobiographical, moment-in-time kind of comic. And then it like extends into the way past and extends into the way future. Just like that book here by Richard McGuire. Sure. But it was just like a couple of pages. Like Richard McGuire's here actually had a big impact on me when I was about 20. Mm-hmm. But that comic by Anders Nelson, that's, that was pretty incredible. I mean, there was just like this arrangement of pictures and words and sort of graphs, which seems to be popular in the boy comic set. <laughs> Which I'm not generally into, but somehow, um, Andrew's, that comic was like, wow, that is deep and philosophical. Mm -hmm. The next question, question number five is, what's a change you'd like to see across the comics industry? Mm, No, these these are things are not, I don't really (laughs) contemplate a lot. I don't think about the comics industry and how it should be changed. I mean, of course, I would like to see uncompromising art being celebrated constantly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and challenging work and I would like to see great uncompromising challenging work take precedent over money (laughs) and capital well let me use that as a a springboard to a more more specific question You don't like my I mean, utopian. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, if, if your answer is uh, utopian, what is, what's the phrase, uh, enlightened despotism? Uh, I mean, in your work, there's uh, some self-deprecation about being, I mean, the, the day-to-day of being an alternative cartoonist and trying to make ends meet mm-hmm. and all that. At its most intense, how, how is the pressure to do something more commercial been, even if it's just internal pressure to try and try and do the most accessible version of your own work? It's hard to say because I really do want everybody to be able to connect with my work. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel much temptation to... Well, I mean, I don't really have much opportunity to commercialize my work. But there was some point where I was really working in humor into my work because uh, I felt like it was too maudlin or something. <laughs> and I think humor sells sells work a lot. And also the sort of like cuteness and charm 
So, I mean, I would like it if I could depart from the cuteness and charm and humor if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we're all corrupted a little bit by um, advertising and having to sell oneself. But at the same time, you know, I want to be engaging. I don't want to just, like, lose my audience or mm -hmm. do some sort of solipsistic thing that nobody understands. Well, do you think you self-edit when it comes to topics like like anxiety or... I mean, I self-edit all the time. <laughs> okay. There's never a time when I don't self-edit. But, um, I mean, I don't want to dwell on anxiety too much because... It's like dwelling on the air. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It's like totally navel gazing. I mean, it's actually I'd like to. I mean, depart from the anxiety. Question number six is: What's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning? Honestly, I've never considered mm -hmm. quitting because there's nothing that I know to do otherwise. Like, I don't have. There's, it's never, it's never been a question. Yeah, no, if I were to quit, then I would just, just I would have no identity. Like, mm -hmm. um, why do you ask that? Do people consider quitting cartoons? I feel like comic artists are just in it for life, whether they make You know, that, I mean, that's a good question. I've, you were not the first person to say, no, I've <laughs> never considered quitting. But th that is also one of the... The specific questions that in the short life of this podcast I've mm -hmm. heard people say that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. I think a few of these are are conceived with the idea that with the right person it'll be the jumping point mm -hmm. to, to hopefully a relevatory or at least interesting story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, I think about me. I mean, I'm not necessarily usual about this, but other people, other cartoonists might have other things that interest them. <laughs> And, um, I mean, I have a few hobbies and stuff, but there's, like, there's really nothing to give up comics for. So sure. It's, like, a non-question. Do you feel differently about comics, your comics, uh, in general versus the diary comics? Because I, having reread Truth is Fragmentary mm -hmm. quite recently, one of the, the motifs in those diary comics is your occasional urge to, to stop doing the diary comics uh, midway yeah, through yeah, a given yeah, yeah. month. Well, yeah, I mean, I set out to do fictional comics, and then I kind of, I was doing the autobiography for, more for myself, like sort of a self-actualization practice or something, and, um, I mean, with my fiction comics, you know, it takes me so long, and, and I'm still working on fiction comics. And I get stuck so much, you know, like there's like parts of the story that just doesn't feel right. And mm -hmm. I just, I can't figure, like it takes me years to get a good solution. I, I mean, I will say as a reader, the the interplay between the two is is awfully compelling. Like I, I really liked the story you did for the Kramer's Arago that came out in 2012. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Cody. Yeah, Cody. I mean, that was fiction. Reading. That was. Oh yeah, but that was pure fiction. <laughs> I mean, it was set in California, and I come from California. Sure. But other than, and it was a female, and I'm a female. But other than that, but um, I mean, I was quite 
pleased with that. I mean, that was one, and then it took a year to really, I mean, mm -hmm. to write, to like formulate in my mind and picking it up and putting it down again. But, um, well, I only mean that having, having read your autobiographical, autobiographical stuff, that having that as a frame of reference gives it a certain charge, seeing, mm, I see. seeing the fictional... Yeah, I see what you mean. It's like if that just came out of nowhere, it would, you'd have a different sort of reaction to it. I think so. Yeah, no, so at some point I just decided that it's okay to, that autobiography comics don't, don't have to be s secondary that I can treat them mm -hmm. as seriously as I do fiction and, and sort of play with reality. Uh-oh, my roommate's here. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? We're having an interview. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Hi. This is my roommate, Aiden Coke. Is it Coke? Yeah, Coke. Hi, I'm Greg. Hi, Greg. Nice to meet you. What are you with it? Uh, this is on behalf of the Comics Journal. Oh, sweet. Do you have anything to say about women in comics? Uh, they... Do, they're there. I did not... I did, <laughs> 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 I'm just teasing. <laughs> hey, Aiden, what is the closest you come to quitting comics? Uh... Well, maybe from fairs. Yeah, so like, you go to... Why am I here? Or like, this is fucking torture. Yeah, it's really um, overwhelming, that sense of... Yeah, but I say that at other book fairs too. All mm -hmm. book fairs, all fairs are kind of torture. Is the idea of it worse than no, the, 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 of it the experience is, of it is mentally, socially, uh, physically exhausting and painful, usually. Yeah. But then I always people are like, "How was the fair?" And I'm like, "It was great." <laughs> and then I'm like, "Wait, no, no, was it? I don't know." It's one of those things where you trick yourself to being like, I love it. I see everyone I mm -hmm. know, and I don't get to talk to them. <laughs> I think I make money, but who knows? I don't really like... <laughs> I know. We always like make exactly however much it costs. Oh. Like, every time I go to a festival and I like, do a mini-comic or whatever, yeah. like, however much it costs me to get there and to yeah. prepare. And, like, yeah. or, like, I know. I, I try not to really add to that. <laughs> Somehow I, I added up, and somehow it always comes out even. Like it's remarkable. Like, Which is that good? Is <laughs> even good? I guess in comics it is. Right? Well, um, like that, okay. I guess you would. You could say even is neither good nor bad. It's just like <laughs> it's really just straight. You just achieve nothing. <laughs> Any other questions for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll ask the room question seven. What's the best advice you've heard about making comics? I don't know. I just tell people to do whatever they want. <laughs> and, it, you know, and not think about what it is. I think that's, that's important. Kind of. I know, too. Two pieces of advice. One I got from Adrian Tomanai, and I suspect he maybe have gotten it from Jaime Hernandez. And it's just simply to just put a gap between lines. Like, for example, let me show you this sure. picture here. Like, a gap between the, where the nostril line hits the other huh. part of the nose line, the cartilage line. <laughs> and, or like a, 
gap between the. I don't know that. I don't know anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a jingle about that. Somewhere. But simply not to make solid, unbroken lines. And somehow that. Solved all your problems. Um, it sort of pushed me into a more professional realm. Like, huh. I was able to make my work look more professional. And then also, Dave Sim, when I read his book about self publishing, it was like, it was called The Cerebus Guide to Self Publishing. And the first half of it was how to draw comics, and the second half of it was how to self publish the comics. Mm-hmm. But I only really read the first half. <laughs> so, I guess being self aware <laughs> to some extent. Huh? I guess so, like being self aware, like being able to take yourself outside and be like, oh, this is how I draw, but maybe if I draw it without gap or with gaps or something, yeah. maybe like. Yeah, well, I don't know. Just some. I think it's a pretty superficial thing, but something about the gaps make it makes it feel professional. Or, but then the Dave Sims said the opposite thing, which well, not the opposite thing, but he said that this is a very important thing, and this really changed my comics forever. And he said it was where the it was about where the lines meet, and it's a kind of Zen thing. Hmm. Well, first of all, he said, when you're penciling, you pencil really fast. And when you ink, you ink very slowly, which people will think is the opposite. I mean, this is something we both know now. Aiden and I, we are professionals. <laughs> but, um, and he said, when you're working on it, you have to think about where your line is going to end. I mean, when you're, like, drawing, like, just think about, instead of just, like, keep going until the line stops, like, think about where the line is going to end, and where it's going to meet the other line. Well, that, I mean, that goes into your other thing, where, like, by leaving gaps, you have to, like, use your brain yeah. to figure out where those lines yeah. meet. They don't have to meet, but you, like, know. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's about this, a sort of deliberateness, rather than, like, a haphazardness, like, un- like, considering every single line. Like, no line is unimportant. <laughs> so, and then when I read that, and I realized that, my work completely changed. Like, I started doing a lot of cross-hatching, but, like, it went from being, like, sort of sloppy and accidental to... Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like it was, like, immediately better, but it was far more deliberate. And, like, you could see the improvement. Um, wait, there's one more thing about learning cartoon, com- cartooning. <laughs> Okay, so there was like the gap between the lines that Adrian taught me, and then the the deliberateness of the lines meeting each other that Dave Sim mm-hmm. taught me through his book. And then there was Joe Matt. He sent well, he was writing letters to a friend of mine, and my friend showed me her le- the letters. <laughs> and there was like a there was a Xerox of Charlie Brown and Snoopy, and a note on, by Joe Matt pointing to the little pools of black underneath their like very very tiny subtle pools of mm-hmm. black underneath their feet and and he said these are the most important thing these little pools of black they, they anchor the whole thing and that was a big step for me to learn too as soon as I started playing with the black I was like now I know how to make it look like a comic mm-hmm. and then there's another thing that, to learn just simply that the art itself is the story Storytelling is important, but it's told through the art. Okay, 
but nobody taught me that. I just figured that out. <laughs> well, it's great to hear you uh, bring up peanuts. I, I admittedly, I have some hometown pride about <laughs> about Schultz, but I've been rereading. Are you from Santa I was St. Paul born. Yeah. Uh, and oh right, right, right. Saint, oh right. Yes, I listened to the the audiobook. Cool. I just associate him with Santa Rosa because that's. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure people in Santa Rosa do too. As far as Minnesotans are concerned, I think he's ours. Yes, a lot, okay. of, a lot of the the quiet desperation and self resentment and <laughs> weird social dances people do feel very. They feel Minnesotan to me anyway. I can imagine. But it's he's, it's amazing how good he is so early in those trips. Like every one of them just pops. Mm-hmm. Uh, question number eight is: What's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist? Hmm. I would say attempting to do a graphic novel before I was ready to. Is that something that's been seen by the public eye, or is that a project you scrapped on the way to doing well, other work? Well, I didn't scrap it, but I definitely shelved it. But, you know, I got a lot of pressure to do a graphic novel from friends and family, and also from the industry and society. Mm-hmm. That seemed, like, it was just that time when there was, like, graphic novels, and, um... I just, I, I just heard it from so many people. you got to do a graphic novel, and you've had a crazy childhood, so you should do it about that. And so I, I spent so much time, years, trying to do this graphic novel that other people expected from me. And, and um, not listening to my own inclinations. Yeah, I think I really regret that. And I would say, if I had any advice to give, I mean... Well, I wouldn't advise somebody not to do a graphic novel or not to do something just because they're not inclined or whatever, but um, I think comics lend themselves to shorter pieces, and I also think a graphic novel is such a commitment. It's not something you just should shit out in a year or two. Mm -hmm. It's something that you really have to consider, like, years going, like, a, a good graphic novel will take years. Like the book, This Dog Barking, I mentioned, that took 10 years to, to make. And um, so, I, I mean, I would say, conversely, one of the best things I've done for myself is done a lot of short pieces. Like with each short piece I do, I learn new things and build on build on it for, for the next piece. Whereas with a graphic novel, you have to stick with what you know for pages and pages and you don't I mean, I mean, there's great graphic novels like Uli Lust's book. It's amazing, but I do think there's got to be some kind of conviction and belief in what you're doing and belief in yourself, not just other people's rooting for you. I mean, it's good to have people rooting for you, but you also have to know what you want to say. Uh, you you mentioned your childhood earlier. At question number nine, we ask, what does your mother think of your work? <laughs> um, she's a bit, she seems to be resigned to it. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard for her to take, because she's very private and shy. But, um, I mean, at the same time, she's proud of me, and she wants me to do well. And, um, so, 
it's a kind of give and take. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I want to write something about her, and she says, "Wait till I'm dead." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "But it's I won't be as interested in it then." <laughs> How familiar is she with comics as a a way of storytelling? Um, I think she's pretty familiar, just in that she, um, you know, she reads whatever is put. She's a big reader. And so I send her comics, like I'll send her issues of Moam, or, mm-hmm. or like whatever I think she might be into. But I mean, I don't think it's her her thing. She's not like a nerd, comics nerd or anything. <laughs> but she understands what they're up to. She understands cool. their ear and they're not just for kids anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, if, if you can make your way through an issue of Mom, you feel like you've got some sort of handle on, on how comics work. <laughs> That's funny. I gave a copy to my, of Mom to my grandma. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and she said, I appreciate what you do, but I just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I think is a very sweet and kind thing to say. <laughs> All right, question number 10, our final question. You've been assigned to write and illustrate Garfield, but you can alter one aspect of the strip. What do you change? Hmm. So do I just do one strip, or am I just doing... I'm just taking over... That's a good question. Let's say you'll be there for a good year or two minimum. Okay, and there's one thing that I have to change. Mm -hmm. Hmm... Um, well, I guess I would make Garfield either a woman or gay. Mm-hmm. And I would have Garfield and John be some kind of weird roommate situation, like Please Company or something. And... So departing from the the pet owner dynamic. Oh wait, you're saying too. it's just one thing. Well, no, I mean, this is this question is just a jumping off point for for your vision of Garfield, whatever mm-hmm. whatever shape that takes. Can I just have half an hour? <laughs> sure. I need, well, to, I need to write a treatment here. <laughs> whenever the next autoptic is two years from now, we will record a solid hour of Gabrielle Bell talking about her vision for Garfield. I have to say, I'm really enjoying Bojack Horseman. Have you seen that? No, I... But I, I like Lisa Hanawalt's work. It's one of those things that's on, like, the long, short list of things I yeah, know I need to be checking well, out. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a sitcom, and it's... Uh, but And I'm not a big sitcom person, but I will... I love that show. It's like, um... I mean, and I think it's a lot to do with Lisa Hanawalt, because there's all these little jokes, like, little, mm-hmm. like, visual jokes going on and and like pictures in the background and all these weird stuff happening a lot of like uh not puns but like uh funny animal jokes (laughs) like animals as people and then like making making uh something funny out of that so um i would probably end up just making like doing some bad cheap Bojack Horseman Garfield ripoff. Okay. Oh, bad or cheap are 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 your words. I feel like I'd just be constantly being like, "Is this too much like Bojack Horseman?" 
Gabrielle Bell's uh, Bojack Horsemanization of Garfield, I feel like that's that's an idea with legs. We can end on that. Okay.